This podcast is brought to you by Upcase. Improve your development skills by completing coding exercises that are peer-reviewed by real humans. Learn more at Upcase.com. Yo. Go for Mark. This is Mark. <laughs> Where's your video? I don't know. Don't be so shy. It's I don't know. Stuck. It's, it's stuck. The video is stuck, huh? Mm-hmm. Stuck in the tubes. I hate when that happens. I know, right? My fiber. What voice was that? I don't know. A uh, crotchety old man complaining about the internet, but knowing enough to call it fiber. <laughs> Seems weird. <laughs> well, I'm not going to start until I have video, so. Yeah. No, I don't. I can just talk to you like you're this galaxy that's sitting in front of me. Is that a galaxy? Solar system? No, it's a galaxy. It's definitely a galaxy. Am I talking to anyone? No. <laughs> Hey everybody, this is Gordon Boston. And this is Mark in San Francisco. And this is Build Phase. Hey. Hey. There it is. What's up? Oh, Skype. <laughs> we have video now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I have to be able to see you to record, otherwise I, I'm going back to my dressing room. Right. It's in my writer. Yep. A bowl of brown M&Ms. Mm-hmm. And video. <laughs> Those are my requirements. Fairly simple writer, all things considered. Yeah. You could have gotten oh, weird with it. Also, a whole pig. Just like alive. Ac- access to a hole or just a dirt a dirt area where I can dig a hole. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to need some coals. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to need some uh, palm leaves. And we're going to have a luau <laughs> two hours before I go on. <laughs> okay. Every time. Yep. Every, every week. Oh, and I need someone to bring me a card right before I go on that tells me what city I'm in. <laughs> you may want to talk to your doctor about your pork intake. I feel like that's like a lot. Mm. <laughs> you might want to talk to your doctor about uh, minding your own business. <laughs> that's fair. How's it going? Pretty good. Yeah. I just released an app to the app store. Hey, there you go. So I'm waiting for things to blow up. Yeah, of course. I'm on call, as we say in the biz. Is it, uh, is it out I got yet? my beeper. Um, is it available? No, I've been searching for it. It does not appear to be propagating as fast as I'd like. Hmm. 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 Let's look. No. Nothing. Mm-mm. Hmm. Bummer. Maybe I'll check the old iTunes Connect. Yeah. See if it got stuck in the fiber. <laughs> sure. What else is Nothing, up? man. That's it. Yeah. I'm going to Philly next week. This weekend, actually. Mm. Friday. For Coco Love. Mm. Excited about that. Mm. City of brotherly love. Mm-hmm. And cheesesteaks. Home of the Phillies. Oh, man. If I could see the Philly fanatic. Mm-hmm. It'd be fun. They are the best last place National League team <laughs> in Western Pennsylvania. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. I always get those confused. What, east and west? Yeah, well, which side? Well, generally, no. But which side has Pittsburgh and which side has Philadelphia? Philadelphia is close to us. Pittsburgh is, like, on the other side of everything. Mm -hmm. That was actually, when I was moving up here, man, that was, like, we spent, like, that is a big, long-ass state. Seriously. We spent, 
I swear to God, we almost spent an entire day just driving through Pennsylvania. It only took us three days from Texas to Boston. It took us three days to drive up here. Like one of those was getting out of Texas. And like most of another one was driving the long ways through Pennsylvania. Did you, um, did you stop in the middle? No. Is this a joke that I don't get? It's not a joke. I have family that lives in the middle. Oh, <laughs> I have a lot of family from <laughs> central Pennsylvania and it's, um, it's interesting. Yeah. I've heard it referred to as there's Pittsburgh and then there's Philadelphia and then it's Alabama in between <laughs> and that's not too far off. Nice. I did go through Alabama. That was kind of like you'd expect. I think it's kind of like, we should just keep going. Let's just not, let's just get through this. But I imagine there's good eats. In Alabama? Yeah. 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 That whole, I mean, everywhere in that area, good food. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I'm going to Philly, getting on a train on Friday. I'm dri- I'm taking a train, which is going to be fun. I think it's like a sneak five or six hour train ride, but <laughs> whatever. Um, five, I'm being told. That'll be fun. Are you a train guy? Like, I don't do know. You... I don't know. Okay, so I think no. I've been on a train like no. once. If no, you say I, I don't just, know, then no. I just I flew to San Francisco twice this year, Denver once. I think I flew to Texas at one point during this year. Where else did I go this year? You went to Ottawa. Canada. You know what I mean? Like I was planning this trip, I was like, oh, I'm so done flying. I'm so done flying this year. And I'm gonna have to go I'm gonna end up flying in January back to Texas. I'm gonna go home for a little while. But twenty fourteen I'm done with the flying. I'm good. You know, pay like a little extra to uh, take a train and not have to deal with security and just get to like sit in a seat for five hours. Seems much better. Yeah, you can get up, walk around freely. Yeah. Get your own food and drinks. and Right. Right. That's all I want to do. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's good. I have to get on at like 6 a.m. So that's going to suck. Yeah, Coco Love. Never been, obviously. I think it's his first year. So continuing my tradition of going to every conference in the United or in this area's first year that I can. <laughs> and it's North's first year. Coco Love. Should be fun though. I know a bunch of people going. Be a good time. May try to see the Thought About Office down there if I have if I have time. Mm-hmm. Hang out with Sean and and uh, Kyle. Any good talks? What are you looking forward to? Uh, you know, honestly, I haven't even been paying attention to the talks. I know my buddy Joe Chaplinski is talking again. Uh, and he was by far my favorite talk of NS North two years ago. So I don't know what he's talking about this year, but I'm sure it's going to be good. Everything else, I mean, it all they all look like good talks. That Nothing looks very technical, kind of getting back to our earlier conversations about lack of technical topics at these kind of conferences at this level anyway like rob ryan's giving a talk learning from editors which is professional editors as in film photography literature those editors there's a talk on keeping conversations healthy and productive you know like this guy from omni group talking about design conversations i don't know Brent Simmons and Dave Wiskus are talking about Vesper. You know, so it's a lot of that kind of stuff. There is a talk about accessibility, but I think it's it's more about like 
why you should do it. Mm. Yeah. That one, mm-hmm. that one's probably going to be pretty interesting. I, I think all these are going to be interesting. I'm excited for it. It's got an interesting format too. Like, I'm not sure what it's going to be like. I should probably wait to talk about it until after, but it looks like basically everything is done on Saturday. There's a dinner on Friday night and, and the keynote. And then I think that all the talks are happening between nine and five on Saturday. And then on Saturday night, it's like dinner and drinks. And then Sunday is just like tours and stuff. That's awesome. Yeah. So again, heavy, heavy influence on community and socializing and networking to use a kind of bullshit buzzword, you know? So I, I'm, I'm excited. I've only been to Philly once. It's a beautiful city. That'll be fun. Other than that, Swift 1.1 came out. Xcode 6.1. Mm-hmm. Did you look through those release notes? I did. It's not much. A lot of fixes. The big fundamental change is the failable initializers, which I had argued against on Twitter, but I kind of get it. Wait, you argued against it? Yeah, I didn't see Against having them? Against using them, (laughs) I guess. I understand now. Like, at the time, I was like, why? Like, why would you need to fail an initializer, you know? And at the time, no one was giving me... Uh, I mean, I was getting feedback on why you would want to do that, but it wasn't, it wasn't like compelling, but I think it's easy to see it. If you look at like UI image or NS image in that matter, you know, you can create an image with a name and it should fail right there. Does that image exist or not? That should return an optional. You know, if the image is there, you should get the image. If the image isn't there, you should get nothing or none rather. Mm -hmm. That totally makes sense to me. And once I ran into that, I was like, oh, okay, this all makes sense now. But, yeah, I I had argued against those. Basically, things that are initialized with the result of other things that can potentially fail. Right. Like the file system. Right. By moving to failable initializers, it also allowed them to get rid of some of the kind of ugly factory methods that they had to introduce in order to um, get that same behavior. So, for example, stuff like initializing a, uh, an integer value with a string. You want to pass a string to an integer value, and if the string just is an integer, like if the string is 22, then you want an Im- integer back with the number 22, right? That's a fairly common thing to have to do. Well, before you'd have to have a factory method on there that says, like, from string, you know, and that could re- return the optional. This way, you don't have to go, oh, is this a factory method or is this a constructor? They standardize the language. If you're creating a thing, you use constructors. That's it. You know? That's kind of a nice way to think about it, I think. What was the other example that they had? Oh, there's on innumerables. On enums, there was a, a from raw factory method that you had to do. So maybe you have a planet's enum, right? And you're given those integer values. So it's, this is a bad example because I don't know the solar system. (laughs) For shame. (laughs) What is it? Mercury? Venus. Venus. Earth. Earth, Mars. Mars. Okay, let's just go that far. So it's like... Jupiter, Saturn. Quit showing showing off. (laughs) I'm not showing off. Everyone should know this. I'm actually really disappointed. Uh, 
But so you have that enum, and you give each one of those their an integer value, which is their relation to the sun. So it's one, two, three, four. And you want to create the Earth instance of that enumeration from the number three. In Swift 1.0, you had to do enum type and then pass in. It had a class function on it, a class method, a factory method on it that said from raw. And then you pass in the integer there and that returned a maybe. Or an, uh, Sorry, I've been reading Haskell like all week. Uh, that returned an optional, right? So that would return the enum if it got it back or none if that raw value didn't have an associated enumeration value. Again, now you can get away from having to go, how do I create this instance? And you just pass, you just, they, they synthesize initializers for you automatically so that you automatically get this initializer that takes in an integer value. Whatever the type of your enum is, you'll get an initializer that takes that value and then translates it to the proper enum type or returns none if that enum doesn't exist, which is nicer. So that's good. Is that a result of this bullet item in the notes that says all of the literal convertible protocols now use initializers for their requirements rather than static methods starting with convert from? That's the cause of that, yeah. Okay, I see. Yeah. Again, once once you're able to move to failable initializers, then you can get rid of all these special ways that you had to instantiate these things under these specific circumstances because they acted this specific way. You know what I mean? Really what it did is it got rid of a whole shitload of edge cases because really all you want to do is you want to pass constructors. You know, you just want to use constructor methods. My only gripe here and the only thing that this makes worse is that in Swift, this gets back to kind of the functional stuff that I've been playing with, but in Swift, you cannot pass a constructor as a function you have to call a like they're not just normal functions they're special so you can't pass a constructor method uh like you know with fmap for example or any of these other things you know what i mean so a failable initializer would actually be or a non-failable initializer would be a great thing to use with uh fmap you know what i mean like you have a maybe value, or God, I'm going to keep saying maybe because I really have been reading Haskell like all day today, and then most of last week I was just reading this Haskell stuff, <laughs> and then I'm going to a Haskell project night like literally after we when I close my computer and we go up and I go upstairs, I'm walking back into a Haskell thing. Anyway, if you have an optional, so let's get back to you know you want to you create a user and a user takes a name. You know what I mean? So the initializer, the constructor method for a user just takes a name that's a string and it has to be there. It's a non-optional value. If you could pass that function without calling it, you could then do user fmap and then optional name. You know what I mean? You could have a string that is an optional. It might be there. It might not be there. And then you could say like that would then give you the same thing as a failable initializer. You know what I mean? If the name is there, then it'll return a user. If the name isn't there, then it would return not, none because of fmap. Right. So so it's kind of annoying that you can't do that. Mm-hmm. And because of that, 
that's also the reason why, like in Tony's posts about JSON deserialization, you right. can't curry an initializer. So you'd have to create right. a constructor that's, like create. Yeah, it's a twofold problem. Like the first problem is that you can't pass these things. One is that you can't curry them, right? You can't curry constructor methods. You just can't. You can't curry these initializers. But you also – so that's the first problem. The second problem is you also can't pass them as functions at all. So even if you could curry them, you still can't do what Tony was trying to do because you can't pass them along. You can't pass that into FMAP. Fairly frustrating. I think Tony has a radar open for that. I don't know if you got a response. I should have asked. I do think that's fairly annoying in the language. Would you like to switch gears a bit and talk about storyboards? Did you have anything to sure. say there? Um, not really. So uh, Tim Ritchie, who's a developer, I don't know where he lives, but he does the Vigil, which is a pretty sweet app for monitoring uptime. And I met him at a conference, I think WWDC two years ago. Maybe? I don't remember. But he was asking about storyboards. I, I know that he's he's moving Vigil over to storyboards and was posting about it online. And I started giving him crap because he posted this huge, you know, massive storyboard. And I told him that he needed to break it up. And he was saying, like, yeah, it started out as a this is a basic app with only a couple screens. And, of course, it just blew up into, you know, you always you're going to underestimate that stuff. And so he's just asking about dealing with storyboard strategies how we organize that stuff. I think we're both pretty much on the same page, especially after this last project with the storyboard strategy, which is really that we try to visualize applications in terms of discrete flows, right? That's kind of how I think of it. Like this set of screens goes together. Really basic example, two easy basic examples are uh, authentication and settings. You know, those are two very basic flows where you're going to have you're going to have a root screen that you're going to get to somehow. Somehow you're going to get to this root screen, but you have this like root screen that's probably going to be in a modal or it's going to be like in a different thing. But it starts there at that root screen and then it branches out from there and it can branch out. That can still get hairy. You know, I mean, you can still have a bunch of setting screens, for example, but that's like a discrete flow. And then. By breaking those up into smaller pieces, it makes it easier for people to work on the app at the same time, which isn't as easy if you have one big monolithic storyboard. Just because merge conflicts, it's better now Xcode since Xcode, I think, 5 changed that format over. But it could still happen. If two people add a view controller to the same storyboard, you're going to get a merge conflict 10 times out of 10. That is going to happen. And, and those, it sucks. And it sucks. And those can be really hard to resolve, especially if it's like a similar looking view controller. And then you have to end up at trying to add your own, either fix it manually by mimicking the, that kind of XML ish stuff inside there or something. So that kind of sucks. So by splitting it up into as many pieces as possible, you know, like I can be working on the authentication flow. Mark can be working on the settings. Mark can be working on the feed, the main feed flow. Like it doesn't matter at that point. We're in two totally different places, the app, and we're working on two totally different things. So there's no risk of us stomping on each other's toes. 
I think the easiest so the aside from those two things aside from like settings and authentication the other easy thing to do is to break out like if you have a tab bar controller that's an immediately every tab can have its own storyboard right that's how we have it in this last project that we did is we have an authentication flow I don't even think we have a settings flow because it's like one screen and I think it's attached to the profile flow but Every single tab then has its own discrete uh, storyboard that is instantiated for it. The other benefit to doing this, I think, I have it in my head that this is an issue, and I could be totally wrong. You might actually know. I have it in my head that there's memory issues around having monolithic storyboards because it means that every time you touch that storyboard, you have to unarchive the entire thing. So if you have one big storyboard, you're essentially going to, at least for a brief period of time, be loading stuff into memory that you're never going to touch. Like if you have your authentication flow inside this monolithic storyboard and the user's logged in, they're never going to need to see that authentication flow. So why even load it, right? Why even unarchive that? In practice, I haven't noticed anything, any problems with that. And I'm thinking about it now in that uh, view controllers loaded from a storyboard have a reference to that storyboard. So I think it is in memory all the time. So the problem with unarchiving it every time might not be an issue. It, it's I think it's being managed for you somewhere by the framework. But like when you do UI storyboard, storyboard with name, and you get back a storyboard instance, mm-hmm. it's loading that storyboard instance into memory. Perhaps. Right. It could also not, just not, be loaded. I'm not saying I'm not saying it's I'm not saying it's creating all those objects inside. Right. No, right. I, I understand okay. it, that you, you're reading it from disk, but I'm saying that it may not necessarily have to go all the way to disk to get it. Hmm. It may already be in memory somewhere managed by the framework because some other objects are still holding a reference to it. Right. So it may shortcut there and be like, well, I already have it open. Just use this. Yeah, that makes sense. So, yeah, that's probably not a huge issue, but I have it in my head that, like, you know, not loading things that I don't necessarily need to be loading, you know, and loading big monolithic storyboards feels weird to me. Sure. You know, you know Xcode 5 was really bad <laughs> about that. Right. Like, you would load a massive storyboard and you would click it in the navigator, sit, and wait. Right. While it loaded, like 30 seconds. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Sometimes it would crash Xcode. Right. Sometimes it would work. Right. So I've really, I've really liked that. The only, I think the main problems that we run into there are kind of just the problems with storyboards in general, which is like not being able to reference a nib from inside a storyboard really sucks. So like, you know, we want to break out, what do we have broken out? Like the cells or are those in this... For example, whatever, even if they're not in this project, we've done that before where it's like you have the cell and the cells being designed in a nib, zib, whatever. I'm going to keep saying nib just because. But you're designing a cell like a, like a table view cell in a nib because you want to reuse it in multiple storyboards or multiple table views. And now all of a sudden you need to refer to it from those table views and you can't, period. Not going to happen. So what you end up having to do is basically duplicate logic where you're setting the class 
I've always done this just for redundancy and you probably don't have to, but setting the class of the prototype cell in the storyboard to my custom cell type that's backed by a nib. And then also inside like view did load registering that nib with the table view for that identifier. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm pretty sure that's redundant, but yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm like 99% sure that's redundant. But it's just – I don't know. It, it's more of a like a mind map thing than an actual coding thing. You know what I mean? Like by assigning the class inside the storyboard, I get some of that naming stuff for free and I can jump to that class definition if I want to from inside the interface builder. You know, you get a little bit of nicety around that even if it is redundant. But that just always feels gross to me. Like it feels like – duplicating logic it feels like moving stuff back into the storyboard that doesn't necessarily need to be there i'm really hopeful that whatever the next iteration of xcode does seven (laughs) i hope they don't do another point like a major version jump next year they need to (laughs) they need to slow down a little (laughs) but uh that's true of most things yeah um but I'm really hoping that in whatever the next iteration is that we get – or even not the next iteration. You know, I hope that some at some point that becomes possible because it seems like with all this IB designable, IB editable stuff, like how nice would it be to just be like this is this nib now and then it renders that nib in place. And you could then edit it in the storyboard, and you would actually be editing the nib file back. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. you can see where this could just be way nicer in every regard, you know? But, you know, that's frustrating. Yeah, so I think that's basically it. I mean, we, we use nibs every now and then for one-off views, cells mostly, I think. And then custom view classes and then storyboards broken up as small as possible. And then we do a lot of instantiating view controllers from their storyboard instance by fetching the storyboard and then instantiating that view controller from inside of it. Not a whole lot. Like, we're trying not to do that. You know, that's that should be the outlier. Yeah, really, all of our storyboard access in this app I just shipped happens in the application view controller Mm-hmm. Where we because we set up the tab bar controller in code, and then each tab is its own storyboard. Effectively, we just load it up out of there and set all those view controllers on the tab bar controller, and that's it. In the case that we saw, I'm I'm sorry, I forgot the guy's name that tweeted at Tim. us. He has a little more interconnection between things. Oh yeah, did you pull up his storyboard? I did. So I expect that from code, it may be necessary to reference those in more places. And there I would actually encourage a category on UI storyboard with just well-named class methods to load that storyboard for you so you don't have to worry about the string name, you know, just like littered all throughout your code. So you could just do UI storyboard, you know, uh, whatever, authentication storyboard. And that would load up that flow. And the same thing goes for loading individual view controllers out of it. I just think it's nice to wrap up because um, it forces you to load view controllers using identifiers and strings. So. Just a little organization thing, really. Yeah, I mean, this is a fairly complex navigation flow, like you're saying. Like, there's a lot of this can jump to here, this can jump to here. But I feel, I mean, not to talk specifically about this, but I do see sections that, like, like this entire bottom section, I feel like, could be chopped out. 
and just dropped as is. The nice thing is that Xcode is actually relatively smart about this. So if you cut this, if you like select these and then cut uh, Command X and then Command V into another storyboard, like it keeps all the segues. Those are discrete objects, so it knows what that graph looks like, and it'll just put everything back in place. You won't lose any of that information except for the segues that you're actually severing. Mm-hmm. You know, which is fairly nice. Which is the beauty of having this backed by XML and not right. some obscure binary format. Right. Right. So yeah, is there anything else about that? I mean, that's I think we take a fairly simplistic approach, which is just use them. One. <laughs> I think just here in general, we're fairly big fans of storyboards just because they, you know, the amount of code that we get to delete. The segues alone, aside from the, like, what we've talked about kind of constantly is the horrible, horrible prepare for segue nonsense, you know, like that sucks. But everything else about storyboards is a plus. Like, that's really the only big downside that I see. So using them and then just trying to break them up as small as possible and then, like you said, like doing some category stuff to make instantiating them a little easier. The only thing I'm never sure about is like when doing the category stuff, at what level do you have the knowledge of what storyboard something is contained in? You know what I mean? Like that's always a thing. For example, do you get the profile storyboard? And then tell it to get you the profile view controller? Or do you tell the profile view controller to get itself? And it knows that it's in the profile storyboard under this identifier. I can never decide which way I want that to go. I see. So you would have some kind of class method on the view controller itself that's a factory for creating it out of its own storyboard? Sure, maybe. You could define it as a category even. You could do some wacky stuff. You could you could declare you could declare a protocol and subscribe and then have all view controllers conform to it. That says that may be a bad idea, but whatever. Um, that says a storyboard name, and then you could have a category method that looks in the storyboard defined by that storyboard name method, and then gets the instantiate view controller with identifier self or NS string from class self class. I think I'm going to say don't do that. <laughs> yeah. And the the reason is is because that class, that mm-hmm. view controller may not always be the entry point of the storyboard. It may occasionally be a navigation controller or a split mm, view controller. Right, right. And so I think that just leads to confusion. Right. to new developers coming out of the project. They're expecting to get an instance of this class because you're calling it on that class, right. and that is not the case. Right. So I think it's better to treat it as if you know whoever's presenting it needs to know what they're presenting. So you get it from the storyboard. So maybe you have a class method that you add to UI storyboard that says profile storyboard. And then you say, you tell the profile storyboard, give me the instant or whatever. Which it, which it has, yeah. Instantiate initial view controller, and then present that. Or, or push it. but but I'm saying, but I'm saying, what if you're get, pulling a single view controller, like just picking it up out of the, you know, what I mean, you're not getting the first one, you're getting one that's three deep. My point is like pushing the logic of what knows what storyboard something is in. The reason I go back and forth in this is because, like, on one hand, like you're absolutely right that. 
it feels weird doing that almost kind of meta programming stuff, like getting the class name and blah, 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 like that kind of stuff is a little weird, especially when it when you may not be actually returning the instance an instance of the class that you're asking for. But it's equally weird to me, architectural wise, when some random view controller has to now have the knowledge of what storyboard some class was created in. Like, you want to talk about implementation details? That is the implementation detail of all implement. That's literally just what file am I looking in in order to get this stuff. And I don't think that view controllers should care about that. Yeah. It's like we talked about a few weeks ago that it sucks that view controllers have to know what they're contained in. Mm -hmm. They have to know upstream that they're in an app controller Mm -hmm. or they're in a tab bar controller and that all those methods are there and sometimes they're nil and sometimes they're not. It's up to you as the programmer to know like where they exist in the flow. The cursive UI kit. I don't think there are any good answers. Yeah. There's no one right way. Hmm. I have kind of like toyed with some terrible ideas. <laughs> I, I, I like the idea of um, what Viper calls a wireframe object hmm. that is the map of your application. And you just tell it methods like show me this and then from this and you pass in yourself I've also thought about putting that thing at the very top of the responder chain. It's probably a terrible idea. And just messaging (laughs) up, sending self as the sender. Yeah. And then it takes the sender and then does something with it. Hmm. Uh, Probably not great ideas, but (laughs) pushing the limits here. Yeah. Yeah. So between that and the prepare for segue stuff, that's probably the only two things that really bother me about. And both, both of those, honestly, like the prepare for segue thing, like I complain about it a lot. But it's not that bad. And a lot of times when you just have like one segue coming off of a view, which is most of the time you're just pushing to a detail view, for example, it's not a huge deal, you know. I guess you could get stuck. You get bitten by embed segues and rewind and uh, rewind segues if you're not checking. And in particular with those unwind segues, the, what is it? Presentation style Mm -hmm. is more important than ever on iOS eight because it changes the behavior of how those work. It used to be no matter what, you just have an empty method IB action that is some method name and it takes a UI storyboard segue as an argument. Mm -hmm. You're basically just like letting interface builder know that by the presence of this method, you want to either pop or dismiss. Now it depends on the style. Hmm. If you are in, I believe, if it's a current context presentation, you are responsible for actually dismissing it in that method. If it's not, I might have this backwards. If it's like a full screen, it will fall back to the old behavior where you don't have to implement it. That's weird. And worse, if you don't have to implement it and you do, you're going to get a warning about trying to dismiss something that's already being dismissed. (laughs) Huh. So... That sucks. Careful there. It's, it's a little wacky. That sucks. And there's, I don't feel comfortable going into it right now because I don't have, remember all the details, but there is even a bug related to that in 8.0 where in this last project, I had to treat a presentation as a popover on, on, <laughs> I, on iPhone to get it to behave correctly, huh. which obviously is not correct because if right. we ever went to iPad, I do not want that thing to be a popover. Right. Anyway. Yeah. So that's about it. Wanna wrap it up? Yeah. What episode? Six.
Oh, new. Uh, we have a new uh, new domain name. Oh yeah, it's official. Oh, also, we apologize to everybody listening to this for flooding your podcast client of choice with every episode we've ever done. <laughs> that that was probably not expected. <laughs> for what it's worth, Overcast did not do that. It did download the most recent one. The re oh Overcast. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Wait. What do I use? Castro. Castro by default never downloads anything other than the most recent episode. Like you have to tell it to go back and download older episodes. So it also didn't do it to me. But I know that like I have friends that were complaining on Twitter because they were using iTunes and iTunes was just like, sure, <laughs> I'll download all these episodes. Hey guys, you want this new podcast? <laughs> right. So yeah, sorry about that if that hit you that hard really sorry anyway uh what's what's what episode 60 60 cool did i do that last time you said you did (laughs) and then i immediately forgot so new url uh our show notes are going to be found at buildphase.fm slash 60 it's also short to say that. It normally takes I, so much yeah, longer. I, I kind of threw off my rhythm. I was like, are you done? Is that the whole URL? <laughs> yeah. Well, as always, we'd like to hear from you. So email us at buildphase at thoughtbot.com or reach out on Twitter at buildphase. And we appreciate ratings and reviews on iTunes. All right. I'll talk to you later. Later. <laughs>